0: You're listening to an Anasal Ministries podcast.
1: What's up, you geeks? Welcome back to another edition of Systematic Geekology. I am one of your hosts. I am Joe, and I am joined by a few people to talk about something that we'll get into, but... Younger me is fascinated that older me is doing this topic. First off, <laughs> let's uh, crack in with a voice that you know you love. Welcome back, Christian. Yojo. And back by popular demand from <laughs> our most uh, popular episodes as of late. Welcome back, the voice of the haunted horror historian, Miss Stephanie Day. Welcome back. Hi. Thanks for having me. So we are getting into the spooky and the weird this time around, and we are talking about cryptozoology. And I made a little bit of a comment at the beginning because for all of my background in, in the spooky and horror and paranormal and all of that kind of stuff... When I was younger, I absolutely thought cryptozoology was just all hogwash. Like I just was like, "Yeah, this is like fairy tale stuff." And some of it is fairy tale stuff. It's you know monsters and all of that kind of stuff. But we'll get into all of that. But yeah, this is one of those things that I am I am fascinated to get a chance to talk about. Uh, But before we get there, very important that we go through what we have been geeking out on recently. So Christian, start us off. What have you been geeking out on
0: recently? Let's see. Recently, I have been geeking out on the second season of Vinland Saga, which is an anime adaptation of an old Norse t- epic about revenge and the dangers of so.
1: Yeah, dude, uh, that that whole section of mythology is wild and out enough to begin with, let alone an anime adaptation that's got to be nuts. Oh, it's perfect. Steph, how about you? What have you been geeking out on recently?
2: Um, you know, I spend a lot of my time uh, thinking about reading, writing, and telling scary stories. Um, so when I get tired of that, uh, I actually tend to play Stardew Valley. Um And I just recently started a new world, a new farm. Uh, And so that's kind of been my geek out relax
1: for the last week or so. Uh, It's what I've been doing in my free time. A little bit of a side note for all of you fans out there of that style of game. If you have played Stardew Valley on like consoles or even the base game on a computer, absolutely take the time to check out the mod scene for Stardew Valley. It is pretty, it's reasonably easy to uh, get into. And there are a lot of modders out there that have made some really cool expansions to the base game. Um, obviously all for for PC, but it's a pretty low resource uh, intensive game. So um, definitely one. Speaking of low resource intensive games um one of the you know in in lieu of Steph joining us this week I figure it 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 only makes sense for me to give the geek out of Wingspan this is a game that I I don't understand why I like this game as much as I do um (laughs) probably because it still is like a game like it still has it's not just this relaxing like Sort of thing. And it has all of that, but there's actual like strategy into it and there's different ways that you can play and and different things like that. So definitely one that I would suggest checking out, um, especially because it's only like, what, ten dollars for the for the online version, uh, the board game is definitely more more expensive but the good news or the good thing about both of them both the online version and the board game version is that they are adaptable for solo play uh just like if you were to play with i think it's like up to five or six people
2: it's uh ten dollars while the steam sale is going on i do believe it's more expensive uh normally
1: oh okay fair enough uh I would still still call it worth it even if you're uh paying full price. So, we are cracking into uh cryptids and you know, this is one of those like I said, that's that part of most of it for me, you know, growing up was just in in line of hearing about like tales of monsters and different things like that until you get to the topic of underwater cryptids. And large scale beasts and things like that. That's a whole lot of nope. Just absolutely not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I would rather see something face to face on land than be in water because what am I going to do as an air breathing human biped? So how about you, Christian? What? Where did you? Uh, what's your background with cryptids?
0: Well, like a lot of the geeky things I got into, I can blame this on my dad. We were over at his place, his uh, well, my grandparents' place in South Carolina when I was about like, like eight. And I found this book, I think it was by Daniel Cohen at the time, that was about all these cryptids. It's like, what is a cryptid? What is the Loch Ness Monster or Bigfoot? I'd never heard of these things before. And it just got, uh, we can say worse from there. <laughs> and I kept going <laughs> and researching. And the fact you can argue cryptozoology is why I'm here where I am today, because- that is how I ended up meeting Joshua was I met Lauren Coleman. Uh, for those of you who don't know who he is, he's one of the premier cryptozoologists of our age. Who has studied a lot of things from lake monsters to Bigfoot, to phantom kangaroos. And he encouraged me, since I love, unlike poor Joe, uh, studying lake monsters and sea monsters. <laughs> he encouraged me to go get a marine biology degree. Now, I was that idiot who thought I could double major in marine biology and creative writing, which is also a passion of mine. That failed when I uh, failed chemistry. So I went to only majoring in creative writing, but as a result, I eventually got to meet Joshua and then come here. So blink cryptozoology for that.
1: There you go. There you go. How about you, Steph?
2: Um, you know, for me, learning about cryptids was kind of a spin-off um from all of the other horror adjacent things. Um, and just like my love of horror it was something that i really didn't know much about deal with um until i got to college and my my best friend is a definite a horror head um and she's also into a lot of cryptids and things like that so it's really just been listening to her info dump um about different uh different types of cryptids and things and them being like, Oh, you know, this is interesting. I want to learn more about this. Um, and then from, from my show, um, meeting, meeting different people that are into that kind of stuff that then like, Hey, have you heard about this thing? And then two hours later, you know, I'm deep in YouTube learning about, you know, creatures like squonk that I only recently (laughs) learned about this year. Um, and who is now my favorite cryptid, but we can, we can talk more about that later.
1: Okay, I'll bite. I will play. I will play the the role of what I am <laughs> sure is most of the people that are listening right now. What is a squonk?
2: All right. So uh, a squonk is a cryptid uh, that lives in the forest um, in the Pacific Northeast, typically uh, that is thought to be so ugly and um, it's got ill fitting skin. So it's very sad and it cries twenty four seven and if seen, uh it can actually cry so much that it dissolves itself.
0: It's a very poor creature.
2: It is. It's a very sad creature. Uh it's been known to be tracked just by its tears because it's crying so much you can literally follow its trail of tears. Very sad. Yeah, that seems
1: like a design flaw. That seems like a that seems like an issue. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I uh I think for me. This the the older I've gotten and the more into actual science that I've gotten, the more interesting something like cryptozoology becomes, because you do have this this portion of it that almost finds the same kind of home as like the universal monster movies. You know what I mean? Like the like creature feature sort of deal. Um, Same reason why I like, you know, Godzilla and Kaiju, different things like that. But for some of these, there's there's an interesting layer beyond the surface to the biology of animals and understanding that there's so much of this world that is unexplored, both above ground and below ground, that it is conceivable, I guess, in certain regards, that there are some species of animal that we have never seen before at least and and it's intriguing enough to ask to, to ask the question like there there are versions of this that are like you know obviously part of part of the gimmick behind cryptids and all of that kind of stuff but some of them you're like huh well if that is just an offshoot of an ape or an offshoot of a bat or something like that What's to say that that's not like a rare endangered species that we only know
0: by folklore and legend? Well, when you look into the history of discovering animals, I mean, as recently as – I mean, the 1900s was when to Western civilization we found the gorilla and – for the coelacanth, both species of the coelacanth, everyone focuses on the African one in thirty-eight, but everyone forgets the Indonesian coelacanth in ninety-seven, which is thought to have been extinct for uh, sixty-five million years. And there is still animal species being discovered today that, as we get closer to their range and habitat, we are finding them. That we, the only reason we ever knew they would have existed in the first place, is because of folklore and legend.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, you know, and and, and to that point, I think it's interesting when you consider how many of these are A enduring legends and B, like I said, reasonable offshoots of animals that we have a precedent for. You know what I mean? Hashtag Mothman is real. That's all I'm saying.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I've also heard Oh, sorry. But Um, one of the other things I've been, uh, reading about and hearing about a lot lately, um, is in terms of Bigfoot and some of those types of cryptids that, um, they're actually just a type of bear, um, because there's a lot of very similar distinctions in like what has been called Yeti fur is, has a lot of genetic similarities, um, to like large brown bears and things like that.
1: Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the one way that you make bears more intimidating is yeah. make them more humanoid <laughs> and and less encumbered by by a lack of intelligence. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> terrifying. Yeah, for sure. And you know, it's it's the the other layer to all of this is when you look through prehistoric research and and genealogies of animals and things like that you know when you consider it's it's one thing to consider animals that walk the earth because short of like certain parts of the rainforest and and different remote parts, it generally more of the above ground has been investigated or or is is been searched and things like that when you go underwater. That's an entirely different thing because there are like not far removed descendants and genetic lines from dinosaurs living in the water that like, this, this is why I don't go swimming in oceans because I, I have a love for my life and not a death wish.
2: You know, if you want to talk about Nessie, you can just say it. You don't have to slide in with the dinosaur talk. Uh, That is my personal favorite conspiracy theory slash it's harmless for me to think this. So I'm just going to think it um, that Nessie is, in fact, the last of the dinosaurs. So nobody can take that away from me. Thank you very much.
0: And I would say, as to be Debbie Downer here, uh, Nessie (laughs) is something I want to be real. And I would describe myself as a skeptic who wants to believe. When it comes to these things, so whatever hybrid baby of Mulder and Scully that comes out of that, that's me. (laughs) And Nessie is one of those like, I want to believe more than anything. Like Nessie is my boy or my girl, depending on who you ask. And I just don't think it's possible. I think if there was something in that lock, it died out in the 70s or 80s and it no longer remains. And my vote is for a giant eel. Mm. Mm. It's actually
2: just
1: bears.
0: Just a whole bunch of bears all together. A bears can swim.
1: There you go. Yeah. The the idea of that being a giant eel is one that I'm not, I'd I'd, I'd rather not think about. Just, I just, almost, I would rather not think about.
2: That's way more terrifying
1: than my dinosaur thought. Yeah. <laughs> Eels, not a fan. Yeah. That's kind of how I feel about any of the winged beasts that that, talk, that you talk about with these things, because like birds are just miniature dinosaurs. That's, that's really all they- pretty much are. And so like the fact that there could be something with wings that is, you know, this fierce beast. Nah, I'm good. I don't think so. <laughs> Shut, no oh, thunderbirds. I, I'm a person no, that, none of that reasonably takes it as, takes it as possible with, with the absolute abject desire that it's not real. Like I just, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't want that to exist on the, in this world. Um, Yeah so thoughts on when we when we hear about all of these you know cryptid hunters and all of that kind of stuff and the people that go and track bigfoot and all of that because it's it's part of what kind of detract detracted me at first to this subject matter is being hearing some of these uh conversations with people and listening to the shows and all of this kind of stuff like oh at least get somebody who has a reasonable like scientific background and all of that kind of stuff it's like jim bob that grew up in his you know <laughs> f- friend's cousin's basement that like one time saw a black shadow in the middle of a hike and suddenly bigfoot is is real so what do you make of these people that have gone through and and done these investigations and seemingly have found at least some kind of evidence that some of this stuff
0: is legit. That's what scientific pursuit is all about. Getting out there in the dirt and mud and figuring out, is this real or not? We wouldn't be here where we are today without that. And I have all the respect in the world for people who can do that because I'm a prissy little princess and I don't want to get dirty. I want to stay at home with my baths and air conditioning. But I, I have all the, like I said, all the appreciation in the world for them for people like Hovelman's and Sanderson and Mackle and Coleman as they go out, get into the nitty gritty to figure out, I mean, is there such a thing as a phantom kangaroo? Is there such a thing as the Mokele Mbembe? Uh Well, you're never going to know if you don't look. So I got I to gotta take 30 seconds and ask,
1: what is a phantom kangaroo? <laughs>
0: well, there's, there's a phantom subsection of cryptozoology, which is like, animals that should not be in an area are suddenly in an area like for example in the uh, 60s and 70s and 80s in america there were what were called phantom kangaroo sightings and that they would appear in some midwest town or uh, pacific northwest or what have you and you'd get investigators going in like what's happening here did they escape from the circus did someone have a kangaroo ranch somewhere didn't tell anyone they got out Or was this like a time warp and something happened? They were brought here from a portal. Who knows? You're not going to know if you just say, oh, well, kangaroos don't live in America. Therefore, a kangaroo couldn't have been there. Uh, That's terrible. Like research it.
1: You know what else was going going on a lot in the 60s, 70s and 80s? Drugs. Drugs were going on in the 60s, 70s and 80s. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's my new new headcanon. Phantom Phantom kangaroos are a byproduct of quantum wormholes that popped up randomly uh in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Either that or I've been watching far too much DS9 as of late in preparation for that episode. Um, you can never
0: watch too much of DS9. Oh man, yeah. it's so
1: good. I'm on like season five. It is it is phenomenal. Um, how about you, you know, Steph? What One- good <clears throat> Uh, I was just going to say, I'm watching through Fringe right now, which
2: anybody who's ever watched Fringe, uh, I'm I'm actually watching it for the first time. I'm almost done with season three. So there's a lot of talk of alternate dimensions and soft spots in the world where things are, are coming over that aren't supposed to be there. Uh, so I think I'm just going to take that one. that I can, I can for sure believe soft spots in the universe. Kangaroos came over in the 60s. And it's doubly ironic because most of the problems happening in the fringe universe are a direct result of the LSD experiments and things like that, that were happening <laughs> in the sixties and seventies.
1: So I'm all She's for it. right. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's where like the, the skeptical part of my brain that knows how sensationalized a lot of this stuff had, had been over the years, especially, you know, the the 2000s and and everything that became popular and all of that kind of stuff there's a part of my brain that really enjoys conjecturing about these things because it's not a far step to start legitimately having conversation about things like quantum theory and all of that kind of stuff i will i'll never forget steph asked me one time just a random like question about like quantum theory, like years ago, I'm just like, just start rattling it off because like, I'm that nerd that will just, I, I enjoy thinking about those, those kinds of things and studying those kinds of things and all of that, because I do think that there is a very linear model that in present day America that we have for thinking of space, time, thinking of reality and all of that kind of stuff that even for Christians to think about is, is like space-time is, is way different than just this like this linear course of events. Like That's proven stuff before you even get into all of the timey-wimey aspects. It's the wrong well, show. <laughs> yeah, wrong show. My bad.
0: Uh, well, speaking of Christians, and we brought up dinosaurs earlier, there is a subsection. I'm about to make a lot of enemies with the statements I'm about to make here. But bear with me. There's a subsection of Christianity that is huge into cryptozoology because they are very interested in proving that dinosaurs are still around because they believe if they do, it'll disprove evolution. Now, I say this as someone who is a young earther at heart. I want it to be young. I don't want it to be any age anyone has ever said because I want them to be wrong because I just have to be like that. But I think it's young. I don't think proving that dinosaurs are still around would do that necessarily. And I am still open to evolution being a thing. But we need like how do we deal with something like that if we meet someone who I've even met people who said that uh, you hear the old argument of uh, dinosaur bones are just put there because God wanted to test us. And I've had people who say that they're just dragons and I've broken both of them. So I guess I'll be hosting alone.
1: (laughs) 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 I mean, the fact that there are no dragons in the world is a travesty. So yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you look at some, 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 types of lizards. And essentially it's just a dragon without the Bitty fire dragon. breath, which is exponentially, you know, lamer than a reptile with fire <laughs> breath. But like that's a, that's, that's another thing flying around that we don't need. Um Yeah. So as somebody who is, who is very scientifically minded, I do believe in the scientific myth. I do. And, and I, I take that even into my Christian life, like everything, like one of the things that that brought me into the apologetics world is this idea that the bible makes a lot of really stiff claims. So let's so let's go ahead and start making some of this stuff palatable by proving what we can prove. And you go that's why I'm I'm one of those weirdos that finds a lot of comfort in reading through the book of Exodus because you look at historically speaking so much of Exodus is is verifiable and all of that kind of stuff and so, but but I I do believe that that science is what it is. Um, could I hear an argument that you know God created man with a certain level of maturation? Sure, and so they they he could have done that with the Earth. Sure, and that would have resulted in some of the same geological and and you know. Some of the some of the things that that we have, sure, but I think if it walks like a chicken and it talks like a chicken, it is it is most likely a chicken. And and the the evidence is not even kind of in the same in the in the (laughs) the camp of young earth. And and don't don't. So 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 Christian took the heat for half of the crowd. I took the heat for the (laughs) other half of the crowd. Don't worry about it.
0: Um, So no one wins
1: yeah no women but it, it is it is interesting i have heard the the dinosaur bit that there are people that try to prove dinosaurs are are legit because they want to disprove evolution and to them i say ma'am, ma'am and sir you you do not understand evolution go back go back to biology class and 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 learn what evolution is um and what it's not more specifically because yes. there's different there's different types of of evolution and a lot of that just kind of gets all all chucked into the same bin as all being just evolution. That's not true, um, but I but I do think that being open to the scientific method. Is beneficial for anybody. It's beneficial for Christians, non Christians, whatever. Because yeah, it's fun. Like I'm sitting here. Spoilers for the end of the show where we give recommendations. I'm sitting here looking at the stack of board games that we have that uh, that that are in my office, and one of them is horrified, and it's all about cryptids. And all of that kind of stuff, and and so that you know there is that part of it where it's fun to believe, it's fun, all of that kind of stuff. But there is the part of it that at least be willing to ask the questions. You know what I mean? Even for somebody like me, that I look at, I look at uh, carbon dating, and I look at fossils, and I look at all of this stuff, and I'm like, man, you've got to you've got to jump through, you've got you've got to reconcile a lot of things in order for young earth creationism to be legit, like the, the the burden of evidence is very, very high over there. But like a different part of my life, and I wouldn't have even been willing to entertain the table talk. You know what I mean? Like, n- n- no, you're a fool. Get out of here sort of thing. But like, no, you mature and you grow and you learn that there's no harm. in at least... Let's explore some of these things. like what could possibly be a thing? Could chupacabra be a thing or did or or is the endure, the enduring myth been that pervasive that people are still telling the tale all of these years later since the first recorded stories of some of these you know st- legends, stories, myths, whatever you want to call them were told. And now I broke the, co- the the co-host for this.
0: No, i completely agree i mean the christianity as a whole could really benefit from using the scientific method in our daily lives i mean when it comes to anything do i assume that you know just because a cloud has covered the sun that a demon was responsible for that uh probably not do i you know if i see a giant nine foot hominid looking right back at me do i go hmm is someone playing a prank on me or is this a creature? I can ask those questions. You know why? Because instead of accepting reality uh, that there is something there in front of me, I had to then question, what is that thing? Is someone pranking me? Are there cameras around me? Or is it charging right at me with a club in its hand? Who knows? You got to be ready for that situation. If you're not training your mind to be able to think uh, reflexively, to not be able to train your mind to think, okay, let's look at a scenario. We're going to be lost and that is not healthy.
1: So that's the one so so if you had to take uh if you had to take you know a, a a cryptid and and take it up to the next level give it a club and there's a there's a there's a cryptid <laughs> with a club in its hand chasing after you. Um yeah I think I'm trying to think and I think the first time the well I think the, the very first time that I ever heard of anything cryptid related was Bigfoot. But I think that beyond that it's the movie the mothman prophecies mm. and that kind of started the whole the whole thing um that and there was a movie that came out that was essentially about loch ness except for like legally not loch ness that uh was about uh like a submarine team that found this giant sea life creature and it was nessie and i remember there was a shot uh, from aerial view. And there's just, this giant, uh, shadow inside the water to, to show the scale and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, no, absolutely not.
2: <laughs> Joe hasn't touched a body of water more than three feet deep ever since.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I remember the first time I was out on the, uh, on the ocean when I lived in, uh, Minnesota, and like they're like, yeah, jump off and swim. I'm like, no, absolutely not. I'm good. <laughs> if I can't see the bottom, I'm all right on that. Um, but yeah, no, I it's it's a shame that it's like anything, right? You have you have something that has a basis in truth, and then you have some wackadoo that comes along and spoils the party for everybody by putting out some kind of proof, quote unquote and all of that and and that's why i think you know to go back to bigfoot like you know the yeti which technically depending on who depending on who you ask are technically two two different things um but that that subsect i think if you're if you're talking in terms of ones that stand the most i guess reasonable chance of being a thing it would probably be be there just you know because there's a lot of wildlife that it could conceivably be um short of also you know chupacabra have hello chihuahuas that's just like an oversized chihuahua that's all um <laughs> but but uh I, you know you look at some of these some of these pictures and recorded evidence and all of that kind of stuff that's been debunked over the years and and in a lot of respects I think this is something that just kind of gets you know, thrown away because of some people that just that 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 took that wanted it to be real or wanted to be famous or what have you fabricated something, got caught doing that. And and so now the whole thing is is bunk. And I, you know, while while I think this is obviously something that has been sensationalized and taken and run with and all of that kind of stuff. I just I, this is one of those topics of conversation that I find myself coming to the case or to, to the point of you know and do do I believe in all of it? No, but do I am I reasonably open minded? I would like to think so. You know what I mean? Like I I think that there are some people that in the heat of the moment and being out in the middle of the woods, um, they heard things and they saw things that you know their 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 brain knew was there. But I mean, maybe they didn't get a good look, or or really see what it actually was, or something like that. But I think for all of these people to come out with claims and knowing the ebbs and flows of specific specific mythology. I think that's where it starts to get interesting because mythology tends to change and shift from generation to generation. And some of, the, some of this has, has been you know tweaked and changed and all of that kind of stuff. But by and large, there's a core set that have stayed largely the same. And that, from a sociological point of view, is not really how myths tend to operate um jumping
2: back a little bit to when you're talking about uh the yeti and other land creatures um and just the the thought of the evolution of those kinds of things you know we talk about a lot about what happens on land but when you go back to the ocean you know there's something like 90% of the oceans haven't been thoroughly explored you are finding new things all the time and when we already know that there are creatures bigger than school buses that we're totally fine with. We all know and love blue whales. Who doesn't like a whale? You know, but those are <laughs> except for Joe.
0: Uh, <laughs> the most interesting of creatures, the blue whale.
2: <laughs> uh, you know, but just thinking of those things, you know, we know about things like lantern fish, which spend their whole life at a depth where they never see light that they evolved their own light source and you know, creatures that eat blue whales once they die that you know are miles and miles down below where sunlight ever hits, that you know, who knows what has evolved down there over millennia and things like that. So there's so much that we just don't understand and haven't explored.
0: There's plenty of room in the ocean for our truncos and gambos and morags and the like. Uh, those are all sea creatures for those of you not in not know. And it's just fascinating that we think that we know everything. Or there are people, most good scientists will say we don't. But there are some that say we discovered everything there is to be discovered. As far as animal species, we don't need to worry about anything. It's like, no, we've barely tapped the surface. I'm not saying... Any of those three creatures or any sea creatures necessarily exist, but I'm saying we've got to look. And if we don't, then we're the fools for it because we're denying reality for the sake of complacency and safety.
1: Yeah. I, two things for me in my everyday life, what I do, quote unquote, nine to five works a lot with data. I, for various purposes, both creative marketing, so on and so forth. I work with data and I take that data and I execute based off of that data. Now, generally, you're only going to get a small subset of what is 100% of an audience or 100% of the available data to be able to work with. And, And you're going to have to make a calculated decision based off of that data set. And you realize how much you can move based off of a fragment of the data, and you realize as a scientist, you don't know much about much in the grand scheme of things. I mean, when you widen out the angle and you really look at the whole sum total of all available data on land, in especially in the sea, there's definite shortcomings in what we know. That's part of why you you know it, it, whether you're talking about cryptids or you're talking about aliens or you're talking about any of that kind of stuff there has to be a reasonable measure of of allowance for understanding that there you don't have 100% of the available data in front of you you know and i couple that with the actual physical presence of being on a like a a full size i don't remember the type the the type of boat that it is if uh 6 7 years ago i'd have been able to tell you but i don't remember now um it but but a full blown sailboat um seeing it docked at harbor and seeing a a whole harbors worth of these full size uh sailboats and then being out on the water in this again giant like this thing's huge and you look around you and you realize you are you are this little dot on the on the the, the full scope of what is the body of water around you, whether you you know have have an issue with water or, or whatever like whether you have an issue with undefined bodies of water or not physically speaking, you are but a small blip. In the actual physical dimension of the water. And so it, it's somewhere in between uneducated and ignorant to think that there aren't things below the surface that we've never seen or heard of. Things that very closely resemble what we know as dinosaurs. Hashtag Nessie's real. I'm just saying.
0: <laughs> Before I start, what I was going to say, I need to make a correction. Morag is not a sea creature. It is a fact Loch Lachmorar had to look that up to correct myself. Uh, second, once again, I completely agree. It's if we think we understand everything, we are lost. And the moment that comes out of our mouth, we show the fool that we are because we are talking about that, which we do not understand. Once again, I'm not saying that just because we haven't explored every inch of the ocean that, you know, uh, something like a giant crocodile sea serpent is out there, like, uh, as reported in 1915 from a U-boat attack. I- I'm not saying that's real, but if I don't look, how am I going to know? If I don't explore, how am I going to know? And as far as aliens are concerned, that's on a different episode that I believe is releasing fairly soon. I yes. wasn't able to be a part of that one, but really looking forward to the discussion on that. Mm-hmm. But let's, let's keep things terrestrial for now. I mean, like uh, if, say, Nessie was discovered tomorrow, Nessie was real, how would that change us?
1: Other than making real a whole horrifying subsect of reality, <laughs> uh, I, you know, I think I think there's there there needs to be room to celebrate the world that we live in, and I'm not one of the one of the people like I, I I used to be a young dumb kid and used to do dumb stuff and all of that kind of stuff, and I don't do those things anymore. But I'm also not going out and you know going to Greenpeace rallies and all of that kind of stuff. Like, I'm not to that point. But I have have a reasonable appreciation for the fact that we are on a spinning rock in the middle of space that rotates exactly how it needs to to sustain life. And, And the fact that there's a lot of exploration and curiosity that goes into that. And I think that's healthy. So, like, other than the fact that I'd never go in the ocean again on a boat or whatever, if that was actually uh, found to be real, I think that the idea is is there that you know every group, you know, Christians, they've got their wackadoo's; people who like aliens, they've got their wackadoo's. Like, just like with this, you have your people that sensationalize it, that market it, that want to make a TV show out of it that that see the the money grab potential in it but that shouldn't disqualify the actual scientific approach that some people are taking and if anything that that should be the fact that that's a thing it should be celebrated because it it does it is people satisfying curiosity exploring and and different things like that what do you guys think
2: uh i mean i'd be on the next plane to scotland i'd i'd be excited
0: I mean, I'd have to eat crow because I said it didn't No, it no longer existed. It was it's extinct. So I'd have to make a lot of apology rounds.
1: <laughs> Heading into this episode, I absolutely would have thought that the tables that would have been you would have been more on the oh, no, this is absolutely real side of the of the conversation. Generally, if I find somebody who wants to talk about this thing, they're like, oh, yeah, no. Hashtag Mouth Man's real.
0: <laughs> I do. Uh, I just don't know if I would classify Mothman as a cryptid, given all the things that happened around it. I'm, I'm in the ultra-terrestrial range.
1: Oh, like, uh, I do said. like that theory. Okay, smart me up. What are you talking <laughs> about? <laughs> all
0: right, so, uh, John Keel was a reporter who went to Point Pleasant in West Virginia while the Mothman sightings were occurring. There were also a lot of UFO sightings, uh, men in black sightings. Uh, so some people even saw like some crazy guy who was racing around in, like the silver suit or something like that. Uh, it was a real wacky time in Point Pleasant back in the day. And one of the things that Kiel wrote about was this concept of the ultra terrestrial a being that does not normally exist within the confines of our reality, or maybe from another dimension or what, or reality or what have you that can every now and then make its way into ours. But it's so far above us it'd be like uh, an ant fighting against a typhoon. And so like when Mothman appeared, it's like we can't understand this creature and its motives, or is it even a creature? Is it some force? Like, I couldn't tell you. I would like it to be a creature. But as far as what is presented in his stuff, I my vote's on extra-dimensional being.
1: Okay, so just for the record, that's now my headcanon. I've never heard that before. But like (laughs) that's more palatable to me than some of the other stuff that I've that I've heard about Mothman. But like because I understand that like the concept of dimensional frequency is all but proven correct that I could see a world where something crosses a dimensional barrier by tuning itself to a different frequency. You know, we all, all molecules move at a specific frequency. And so the idea is, is what happens if you change that frequency and, you know, you, could you slip into, so for, for anybody who's, who's having a hard time um, tracking in your uh, comic book fan, the flash, it the idea that the flash can go to different it can go to different dimensions because it can because he can uh tune vibrate. himself to different frequencies and all of that kind of stuff um and yeah, I mean there's no big surprise that I got into quantum physics by being a flash fan, you know what I mean but <laughs> yeah i'm not I don't know if i if I have heard that before, I don't think I've remember that I've heard that before.
0: Yeah, I can't remember if he wrote that term in the Mothman prophecies when he wrote the book that the movie was based on loosely, or if he did later on. But he—I'm fairly certain he's the one who coined the term.
1: Makes sense. So there you go. That's that's a that's a part of the conversation that I didn't think was gonna come up today um and the best part is is there is in fact biblical precedent for extra-dimensional uh uh entities or creatures um look it up seriously it's it's in the bible and i'm not kidding um so you know as as we as we wrap it up i gotta i gotta ask you know either in in media or whatever most interesting to um to research i'll start with you steph what's your favorite cryptid
2: my favorite crypt oh that's that's a tough question um you know i i've already talked about it but i think i think i would have to go uh with the squonk uh there's just there's something so ridiculous to me about uh, a creature that gets anxious and sad enough that it dissolves itself into tears that i can kind of relate to you know what i mean it's a relatable okay. cryptid uh yeah. And Nessie's a dinosaur anyway. And that's all I have to say. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. Just kidding.
0: <laughs> what about you, Christian? Um, my basic answer would be Nessie. But in honor of Joe's fears, I'm going to choose the Luska, which is supposedly a giant uh, octopus like creature in the Caribbean that lives in these blue holes that form in these various islands. And it said, if any swimmers go above it, it will snatch them with its tentacles and eat them. So my vote is for Joe's best friend, the Luska. So Cthulhu. Okay, cool. Cool, 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 cool. (laughs)
1: Uh, Yeah. See, that's my problem, man. Like uh, part of what bugs me about it is like, if you told me flat out without saying like it's a cryptid or whatever, like there's this large, Octopus like creature that does X, Y, or Z, I'd be like, oh, yeah, no, that's a possibility. I could see that being a thing. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's conceivable if you're willing to be curious. I'm not saying it's all real, but it's conceivable. And that is problem enough for me. um I would have to say, I mean, now, thanks to this conversation, I would have to say Mothman. Like, that just. Mothman just became at least one hundred and eighty-seven percent more interesting than than Bigfoot. Uh, Bigfoot would have been my my other answer because, like, again, conceivable. You know what I mean? I could see a world where Bigfoot is real, um, even if some of the people that talk about it talk about it in between talking about tinfoil hats and conspiracy theories. You know. <laughs> so, um, what do you guys think? You ready to bring it in for a close? We're good. All right. So this is the point of the episode where I ask for geeky recommendations from y'all. Christian, I'll let you start us off.
0: All right. Well, it's hilariously out of date now. But back in the day, Reader's Digest printed a book called Mysteries of the Unexplained. And I have that book over right beside my desk here, and it is torn and fractured from all the times that I have read it over the years. You will get a lot of fun out of it. It's not just cryptids or UFOs. It's also there's some religious stuff in there, miracles and stuff like that. Check it out. Well worth your time. Cool. Steph?
2: Um, You know, I've got to pitch um, a game that I actually got for Christmas this year. It's called the Real Truth. Uh, it's actually based off of a different podcast that I won't name drop right now, um, <laughs> but <laughs> it's based off of uh, cryptids and conspiracy theories. So if you want like a one hundred one introduction to uh, a variety, uh, it's not just North American. It goes you know all over the world. Different myths, legends uh, talk about everything from how birds aren't real uh, to to Bigfoot, um, and you get to go around the world and capture different cryptids, and you know, uh, learn some different conspiracy theories and things like that. And it's uh, it's a good time.
1: Yeah i uh, I fancied myself before playing that game. I fancied myself as knowledgeable about uh, <laughs> conspiracy theories and cryptids and all of that kind of stuff. And there were definitely a few of them that I uh, I had never heard before um for me i you know I'll, I'll go back to horrified there's there's the there's a couple of different editions to horrified there's the universal monster movies but then there's ones that are based on there's a, an edition based on cryptids And you, uh, instead of going against, you know, Frankenstein and the mummy and all that kind of stuff, there's Chupacabra and there's Sasquatch and there's, you know, a couple of others. Um, It is a very good time for any uh, board game enthusiasts out there. Uh, Before we bring it home, Steph, go ahead and let the people know where they can hear um, the haunted horror story.
2: Yeah, uh so you can find the Haunted Horror Story on YouTube or on all of your favorite podcast apps. Um find it on Apple, Google, bunch of the others, um, or directly from Anchor. Uh and then if you want to touch base with us, uh Facebook is the best way to do that. You can find me at Haunted Horror Historian.
1: There's also a uh a group that um that you guys you know for those of you that listen to it that are a fan of the style of group that we have at sg it's pretty it's it's way more themed than that than ours and all of that but it's a really strong um community of uh listeners over there as well definitely check it out um but for now that is a wrap if you have listened to this whole thing and you are looking for more geeky goodness you can head on over to systematicecology.org head on over to the host tab see all of the nonsense that the hosts are up to and if that is not enough you can head on over to patreon.com systematicecology systematic ecology where you can help us keep the lights on and keep doing what we love. There are tons of bonuses and different perks over there as a thank you. But for now, I want you all to remember one very important thing for all a chosen people, a geekdom of priests.